Whether condemnation of a denomination, based on its lack of prejudice, is really more of an endorsement. What's she going to do then? Well, that's what I've been sitting here contemplating. First, I'm going to deliver this case to Marcellus. Then, basically, I'm just going to walk the earth. What do you mean, walk the earth? You know, like Cain in Kung Fu. Walk from place to place, meet people, get in adventures. And how long do you intend to walk the earth? Till God puts me where he wants me to be. And what if you don't do that? If it takes forever, then I'll walk forever. Welcome to Walk the Earth. I'm Greg. In this particular Walk the Earth episode, I'm going to get as close as I can to crossing the streams between inappropriate conversations. The main show on this feed at www.inappropriateconversations.org without necessarily blending. I'm going to draw a line, in other words. For now, though, to start, it's enough to say that both of these programs can be found on Stitcher on the Inappropriate Conversations feed. And I can be reached at IC underscore Greg if anyone has feedback, comments, or questions. So I want to deal with some of the political, sort of social issues that I think I would wrap up particularly in the area of prejudice. And in doing so, perhaps introducing myself to a slightly different audience, I know there's probably some folks who are both listeners of Walk the Earth and Inappropriate Conversations, but the numbers suggest there's people who are listening specifically to Walk the Earth. I consider myself to be a political moderate. Depending on what issue you're looking at and the direction you're taking it from, you're likely to find my political positions from time to time in agreement with what we might call conservative American politics, and other times my political positions will feel much more liberal. I've described myself before on the Inappropriate Conversations show as being someone who finds himself the most liberal person in a room full of conservatives and the most conservative person in a room full of liberals. This is the nature, of course, of being a moderate. And on that program, I call myself a radical moderate because I've got a point of view. It doesn't fit squarely within any of America's political parties, and I'm okay with that. So where I want to make the distinction here is that I want to talk about the role of what I would describe as the prejudice-based social issues and how that has an influence on my looking for a new church. What do you do if one of your priorities is finding a church that you believe does things Jesus' way and not just in the way that Paul might have specified in three or four verses in isolation to everything else in the New Testament? And when I say Jesus' way... I mean, and sincerely mean, taking the Bible very seriously and understanding the role of Christianity between the Old Testament and the New Testament, not believing that we are beholden to those Old Testament laws as a group of Christians any more than Paul believes so. And Paul goes on and on about it in the book of Galatians. So I come to this from a perspective that I think the casual listener on first, you know, first appearance would conceive of as being a liberal worldview. And it's probably a good idea to state that right up front, that when I'm looking for a church that I feel is on the right side of outreach when it comes to questions of discrimination, whether it's discrimination against gay people or discrimination against people who have different religious views, including those who have no religious views or genuinely adrift from what the faith of their childhood might have been, or whether it's people who have had an abortion, sought an abortion, provided an abortion, provided uh, counseling or opportunities for people who are considering that, 
these sort of you know hot button American conflict issues, I'm not going to use an episode of Walk the Earth to outline the nuances of my positions there. It's enough to say that I am a Christian, a Christian who is so committed to finding a new church home that I've left a church, not over these social issues, but over very hateful and hurtful things that they had done, demonstrating repeatedly that they had lost their way in terms of being effective ministers, not only to their community, but even within their own walls. But if I'm going to find a new church, I'm going to find a new church that doesn't believe in institutionalized discrimination. I waited to record this particular episode of Walk the Earth until after it was determined finally what was going to happen in Arizona with the law that was passed through the legislature that would have institutionalized discrimination against, well, initially against gay and lesbian, bisexual people, trans people, but ultimately against anybody. It was a law that was written so broadly that it would enable me to invent my own religion and use that as a justification for marginalizing others. I waited to see what the governor would do. In fact, on www.inappropriateconversations.org, I have recently put a blog post out, my first one in months, that wasn't sports-oriented. And that blog post actually is titled, What Would Jan Brewer Do? An intentional move, in the headline at least, to compare the governor of Arizona to Jesus Christ and sort of draw a line in the sand and say, I dare you to do this Jesus' way. Well, what do I mean by do this Jesus's way? I read many things online about this because I was waiting to decide how I would address the issue of the role social issues play in the denomination that you select because I wanted to see, well, what was I speaking to? Was I speaking to a brand new law that was signed into law by Arizona? No, it turns out not. It turns out that I'm speaking instead, in this case, casually because it's not, not as important as it would have been had it been signed. The governor of Arizona choosing to veto that bill makes this a little bit of an easier recording for me. But among the many things that I read and frankly responded to online was this concept. Go ahead and walk through the valley of whatever shadow of death you perceive, evangelical, conservative, religious right Christians in Arizona. Go ahead and do that. God has said he'll be with you. And while you're at it, pick up your cross as Jesus commanded. Don't, as some have been tempted, pretend that facing a challenge lovingly and treating those around you with dignity and respect is a burden you aren't supposed to bear. Peter tells us that we are supposed to share the hope that lives within us, but to do so always with respect, patience, treating people with dignity. These are not things that the church or the state needs to protect Christians from. And yet, that's sort of the way I see it. Too many Christians who are perceiving social issues to be some sort of threat and danger, and looking for any sort of religious or political excuse to lash out in response to it. The pick up your cross and follow him logic was used, I think, by Rachel Held Evans in an article that she concludes with the question, isn't baking a cake for a same-sex couple getting married not that dissimilar from picking up your cross and following Jesus? It's a good question, and it's one that I've been you know, strongly considering, because one of the things that happens to me online, personally, when these sort of issues flare up, is that I find myself in conversation with groups of people who I describe as fundamentalist. As I may get to in just a moment, some of those are not fundamentalist Christians who come to it from an arch-conservative perspective. Some of them are fundamentalist atheists who approach things from the opposite end of the spectrum. 
fundamentalists all the same. So if you wanted to get a dive into, well, what is the scriptural basis for Greg's thinking on these things? How can his position be so different from the Roman Catholic Church, for example, on some of these issues, and yet still have a strong Christian foundation and a strong scriptural authority? I won't go into it here. If you are interested in the question of homosexuality, Inappropriate Conversations 106 and 107 deal with that in some good detail. The Violence of Denial, in particular, an hour and a half long, goes into a great deal of detail about my perspective on the current Christian reaction to issues related to gays and lesbians and how far afield of Christ the Church has become. Elsewhere, further back, and all of these, of course, can be found on the feed at inappropriateconversations.org, Episodes 59 and 60, 10 Areas of Agreement About Abortion, Part 1 and 2. And even further back, the very first year, in fact, really the first few months of recording podcasts at all, Episodes 29 and 30 of Inappropriate Conversations, My Prayer for a Football Game, back-to-back with Establishment of Religion, those two dealing with the question of prayer in schools. I assure you, if you are curious and looking at those, you're going to find scripture there, not just a political worldview. Although in the nature of the inappropriate conversation show itself, I am looking and thinking and dealing with politics. However, I think I'd like to refer to this on Walk the Earth more from a personal perspective, because I believe that the most important thing in my faith is that relationship with Jesus Christ, and that is not something that anybody should be putting up for a vote, including legislatures like Kansas, Oklahoma, Georgia, Arizona, and elsewhere. No, the meme that I saw online that I think really raises the issue for me and brings it into my home was from Pride Fest Milwaukee. It's just a quote box, and it says, I don't think the worst thing that can happen to me is raising a child that is gay. I think the worst thing that can happen is to raise a child who is cruel to those who are gay. I think I would expand that. You can say the worst thing is raising a child who is cruel to and almost fill in the blank, not just on social issues, but on many, many issues. For many years, there was a majority control of the religious culture in America by Christianity, an agreement between Protestant and Catholic Christianity in particular. I'd make an argument that Eastern Orthodoxy and some other fringe groups within Christianity, not that Eastern Orthodoxy is in any way fringe, were probably not welcomed into that uh, majority, that silent majority you heard spoken about really so much starting in the 1970s. And the problem with that is that that had a controlling influence. In other words, you just have to burn a few crosses on a Jewish family's lawn who moves into your neighborhood somewhere in the American Northeast to send a message that you're not welcome here. And it has a way, that sort of tyranny of the majority, of squeezing out other ideas as our societies become more open to other ideas, it's become much more difficult for people to use a quiet violence, a disapproval, a shunning approach to keep things in a status quo. And a lot of the reactions you're seeing that I'm reacting to now from some of these legislatures, it's quite directly a requirement to a desire to go back to the point in time when people didn't have to profess their, their faith because we assumed everybody was Christian. And that's really where it comes from, presuming that not everybody had to profess their faith because we presume everyone to be Christian. So that's where I am, 
looking at this question of how do you find a church that you know isn't going to make this big mistake? A church that doesn't have a strong commitment ultimately to a political worldview more than a scriptural worldview, or has twisted scripture to make it feel like those two are one and the same. Is there a shortcut that you can take? And, and before I get to the end here, I want to share that shortcut, because I think in some ways it's almost comical, because I did take that shortcut, and it has informed my search. It led me to visit denominations I wasn't planning to. It also has reinforced the idea of avoiding some denominations that there really was no point in taking a serious look at. I'm sorry to my Roman Catholic friends, but we're on a different side of questions about birth control. We read scripture very differently in this regard. And because I do not, I'm not going to support a point of view that conflates ideas that are inconsistent between the Old Testament and the New Testament and sides with the Old Testament in terms of providing us what the quote unquote law is. I'm sorry, I'm going to agree with Jesus. Jesus has said we are to love the Lord our God with all our hearts and souls and strengths and minds and love our neighbor as we love ourselves. These are the commandments. If you're a Christian with a salvation perspective where Christianity is really just about getting into heaven, Jesus has said that's how you get to heaven. You do those things, you're golden. Paul backs it up in his letter to the Romans when he essentially says, hey, if you love your neighbor as you love yourself, you've fulfilled all the law. No need to memorize a bunch of rules. No need to beat yourself up about the meticulous detail you're going into to follow them all. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. You do that, you fulfilled all the law. That's a direct quote of Paul in the book of Romans, chapter 13. The other thing that Jesus tells us to do, though, is go and make disciples. So before I get into my answer to the question on this particular walk the earth, I want to talk about what it means to me when Jesus is simultaneously commanding us to love others and also to go and make disciples. And I think it's probably easy math to do. If you're trying to pass laws in your state that says you don't have to interact with people, you don't have to do business with them, you don't have to give them a glass of water if they're thirsty, you can shun them, you're not going and making disciples, really, are you? Jesus went into places where no one else was willing to go. People who were so terrified of leprosy, they wouldn't speak to them from across a room, much less touch them. Jesus healed those people, both with touch and with word. And you know, so I think he set a standard of going into places where the society of his day had set up rules and laws that would have effectively shunned people. Jesus is on the other side of this question of shunning, I suppose, is the way to look at it. There was a post on Huff, Huffington Post Religion blog that said this week that a survey has found that one-third of millennials have left their religion because of anti-gay policies. I responded to this online, saying, all right, so what? Those people who have left the church over that have followed Jesus on the way out, choosing not to condemn gays, but to love their neighbors where they find them. I'm okay with that. I'm okay with Christians ministering to people where they find them, including homosexual people. And if that means you have to leave the denomination you're in to get it done, then I, I think I've worded it from my perspective correctly here. I don't know that um, the people who've left, the third of people who've left some of these denominations over their approach to gays and lesbians or were the first ones out the door. I suspect perhaps Jesus left first. And I wonder if the Holy Spirit isn't the force leading them to follow Jesus out that door, even if they don't yet fully understand their relationship with God enough to know that what they're doing was a calling instead of an abandoning. But the funny thing happens, and I, I'm going to read a response I got, a little exchange this week 
from somebody that I immediately assumed was a conservative right-wing Christian, because his response to me was, no, they've gone against biblical and in many cases church teachings, that the people who've left the church over gay issues have gone against biblical teachings. And I said, no, by shaking the dust off their feet here, they're doing exactly what Jesus said and didn't say about homosexuality. It's not an issue that Jesus said you should leave the church over. But therefore, if you do choose to shake the dust off your feet of people who have committed the blasphemy of putting words into Jesus' mouth and saying that is what Jesus taught, then I don't find any problem with that. I told, him, I told him I disobey church teachings, historical church teachings, on a regular basis because I don't believe in inquisitions. I don't believe in crusades. I don't believe in burning people at the stake. It took me a while from this give and take to realize that this individual wasn't coming at it from a religious right Christian perspective, trying to persuade me that I was wrong and that I should commit myself to one of these churches that is so obsessed with gay rights or overturning gay rights that they've almost become a church of discrimination rather than a church of evangelism. But it took me a while to realize it because this person wasn't entirely honest until he got to saying things like, you can't accept Jesus and the Bible entirely and reject slavery. Jesus and the Bible endorse slavery. It was then I realized that I'm probably not dealing with somebody from the religious right who wants me to join things from his perspective and become a part of his worldview. No, this you-think-this-therefore-you're-bad approach is just as common among what we might call radical atheism as it is among radical right Christianity. The radical is the key here. Fundamentalism has a habit a very bad habit, I would say, of saying things like, you think this, therefore, and the therefore is usually something around, I can justify condemning you, or I don't have to listen to you, or I don't have to treat you with dignity and respect, or I can discriminate against you if the law allows me to in the state that I live in. So this, you think this attitude, if you find yourself saying those types of things to others, you think, therefore, you might want to stop yourself in your tracks because I don't think that you're doing things Jesus' way. What I see Jesus demonstrating time and time again in the Gospels is talking with people. There were occasions where he would say, maybe to the woman in the well, you know, you've been married multiple times. That's not a speculation on her values. It's a statement of fact. Dealing with people where they are. Jesus never presumed that he shouldn't be speaking with this woman because she was a Samaritan woman or speaking with the woman because she was not living according to the moral standard of even Samaria of her day. No, Jesus went out and made disciples. I asked a question in a small group meeting. The first time I've gone to a small group in any church since we've been looking around for churches, which tells you that I'm pretty comfortable with the church we've been hanging around with the most lately. So we had this small group meeting talking about evangelism, among other things, and I asked the question, I said, you might be able to divide people that you might encounter in your walk, in your Christian walk. You might be able to divide them into three sets of people. There are people who are either are part of the church or could be part of the church. The notion of evangelism being one church denominationally stripping a member from another to join theirs. So the idea that, well, the number of Christians in America is not going to change if Christians are just jumping from one denomination to another. You may find that there's an increase in, a, in one group and a decrease in another. The size of the pie chart, in other words, is unchanged 
by the fact that there is variation over time and how big each slice might be. So that's one thought. The other thought is reaching out to people who are unchurched, perhaps seeking, certainly not opposed to the idea of seeking, not necessarily hurt by a denomination, but just not attending. And I think probably most people, when they talk about Christian evangelism, are really looking for that slice of people, really looking to interact with that particular group. Because in some ways, as I mentioned in one of the Inappropriate Conversations shows, is the idea of reaching out to others about conversing with them or converting them. And if the idea is conversion, if it's convert, it's a numbers game. I want to go where I'm most likely to succeed. It's the door-to-door salesman getting some leads to know which doors are the best doors to knock at. Because if he wants to give a 30-minute pitch for a vacuum cleaner, he'd rather not give a 30-minute pitch to somebody who works for the Hoover Company and doesn't now and never will need a vacuum cleaner from a door-to-door salesman. But the other third interests me, because this is a third of people, and I'm not saying this statistically it's an even distribution, I'm just saying there's three groups here, so the third of the three is a group of people who are willing, willfully unchurched. They've been hurt by the church, or they've had something happen to them that has sort of shut the door on Christianity, or Christianity has slammed the door in their face because they made a decision early in, early in life related to sexual behavior. Did they have an abortion? All those sort of things. Or are they gay or lesbian or bisexual? I've said before online that I feel like the group of people that I need to pray for the most are a group of people within the church who don't even know where they stand on issues because they're afraid of who they are. The latent bisexual who is inside a Christian community has got to be one of the most... Well, that's a person in the most perilous position I can imagine in the church today. Because when the church teaches things which aren't true, things like sexual orientation is just a choice... For these people, being bisexual, whether they realize it or not, that's a dangerous thing because I think maybe in their heart of hearts, they know they've got a choice. But they don't realize because everyone assumes that their walk on this earth is the same as everybody else's. If I see things as not a choice because I'm heterosexual and I can't recall at any point in my life going all the way back to first or second grade being attracted to anybody other than women. So I assume that heterosexuality is not a choice. Therefore, I'm easily persuaded that homosexuality is not a choice because I'm not a hypocrite. But what if you were bisexual? If you're a bisexual person, especially if you had a bisexuality that you weren't even aware of, that you had buried it so deeply within your personality that you couldn't acknowledge it to yourself, and you would deny, probably even pass a lie detector test, denying that you're bisexual because you've ruled out the possibility that there even is such a thing. But just because you've decided you can't be something because that something doesn't exist, doesn't invalidate the possibility of its existence. And whatever's true is true. Whatever's real is real. We go where the evidence takes us. And those people who are in that, stuck in that trap of being truly, genuinely bisexual, but denying it, are persuaded by the argument that this is just a choice. And to the degree that they are more afraid of what might be within them, they're more likely to lash out in anger, perhaps even violence, against people who insist that it is not a choice. Because, for one thing, unlike a lot of other Christians who are merely lying to themselves or others on this issue, this is a group of people who has a genuine conviction that it might be. Because just like I have a genuine conviction on my own experience, that it shouldn't be because I don't feel like I'm facing a choice. 
Well, they do. So I think there's a mission field inside the church of people who have not thought through the scriptures very well, who haven't asked themselves challenging questions about why Jesus doesn't touch the hearts of millions of homosexual people in a Saul on the road to Damascus experience and change their orientation overnight. There's a lot of people who are Christian and homosexual, and many of them profess among their witnesses that they can witness to the fact that they have spent years hoping, praying, waiting for God to make that change in them, and it never happened. And instead, the Holy Spirit calls them into other action, draws them over in another direction, and leads them into some sort of ministry. And if you find that God is unwilling to make the changes to you that you want him to make, or her to make, and instead sends you off on a mission to do other things, perhaps to reach otherwise potentially suicidal people who you can minister to because you've understood their experience, well, then that poses a very different question. But I think a lot of people in the church aren't asking themselves that question. They aren't saying, well, what does it mean if if God hasn't come along and made some sort of radical change in the lives of these people, despite their honest, fervent prayer that he will? God knows better than we do, I think is perhaps my answer to that question. And we need to be willing to submit to the authority of God, to the authority of Scripture in these cases, and not necessarily presume that we know better, just because somewhere along the way, somebody in the church interpreted Scripture one way versus another. Here's what the letters of John say about it. First John chapter 4, verses 15, starting with 15. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. We have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love, and the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. So, when somebody who is otherwise homosexual professes their love for God, they're a Christian. And so what do you do with Christians who are homosexual? Well, here's what I do. Getting back to the original question, whether a condemnation of a denomination is something that I can take as an endorsement. If I'm looking at these issues, these questions of prejudice, this idea that there are lots of people who would love to be in Christian fellowship with others who've given up on the idea of changing who they are, or they realize that in their past they made some decisions that they really can't take back, whether it was a decision to have a child out of wedlock or a decision to have an abortion, whatever it may be, We shut the doors of the churches on these people in many cases, and I needed to make sure I wasn't going to get myself involved too deeply in a congregation that was going to be on the wrong side of these questions. Go and make disciples, wherever you may find them. Walk through the valley of the shadow of death, because God's going to be with you. If you find it socially repugnant, some of these things, and you can't possibly imagine being in ministry with somebody who's been on a pride parade, whether as an ally or a homosexual. You know, maybe it's time you pick up your cross and follow Jesus and do it his way. He didn't say it was going to be easy. He didn't say you were going to enjoy yourself. He didn't promise you hearts and flowers any more than he promised you rainbows and unicorns. So that is kind of my question. Because if the way forward is to love God and neighbor, and there's lots of definitions of neighbor, and when in the parable of the Good Samaritan, Jesus was asked to define neighbor. Jesus chose to define neighbor by telling a Jewish audience that their neighbor was somebody that they discriminated against. An entire group of people that had been shunned 
from Jewish culture and society because of how they dealt with exile versus how the majority of Judaism dealt with exile. Jesus has kind of told us he's expecting us to go to places where the people that we're going to be interacting with are people that some others in our society, especially religious authorities, might tell us we ought to not have anything to do with, might shun. I was visiting an evangelical Lutheran church early in this process, and we kind of liked what we saw. We were interested in the way they handled things. I've mentioned them a few episodes back as the church that had this interesting divide between a very traditional service and a very contemporary service, and they had found peace within their congregation and maybe in their denomination by making sure that both of those sides of the coin when it comes to how to worship were intact and protected and not under attack in any way. And they got there by making sure that they didn't blend. They were separate but equal. And I call that out as an example of uh, maybe sometimes separate but equal is not all bad, even though we think of it in the realm of race relations as being a big problem. But I was interested enough in this evangelical Lutheran church that I asked myself, hey, what if we decided to take the next step and think about joining here? I don't want to turn around a corner and find out that they've got a group of neighbors I'm not allowed to love. So I also asked a friend about it in Dallas and said, hey, you know, this is one of the things I'm focused on. It it seems like a weird sort of fringe issue to make as any sort of priority in a church search. But what am I supposed to do when I'm living in the United States of America today and so many churches, mainline and otherwise, have made what I would concede as a somewhat fringe issue, the issue over which you excommunicate people? The United Methodist Church, which I'm getting more and more convinced every day I'm leaving, has defrocked pastors over this question of how do we deal with equality questions for homosexual people. So I can't be the only one who stepped out of line by making what might be a fringe issue theologically crucial, or even a litmus test for me of sorts, when the denominations themselves have been doing it all along. And this friend in Dallas said, well, you know, you'd like my church too, because the Presbyterian Church USA, uh, one of the different branches of Presbyterianism, also has the same notion that we should be filling our churches with people who need to hear the gospel message, and a lot of those people are people who've been shunned by other churches. You'll find a divide in Lutheranism as well. I mentioned evangelical Lutheranism in particular because there's other branches of Lutheranism who may have split over this and other issues. Episcopalian, same problem. There's at least two branches of Episcopal in America. Now, the Episcopal Church is roughly the American equivalent to the Church of England, and they've got a splinter that has happened over uh, a gay bishop you know, being appointed, gosh, seems like two decades ago now, but still a source of major conflict. A denomination that I think seems unified in its approach to these issues in terms of denouncing prejudice and trying to open doors, trusting the Holy Spirit to do what he will with the hearts of people, that they don't have to change their hearts or trick us into thinking they've changed their hearts on their own, without God's influence, is the Church of the United Church of Christ. The United Church of Christ in America has probably got the most welcoming, opening, and affirming approach of all. And to be honest with you, there would have been a time in my life when I would have perhaps found that to be too open, too welcome, and too affirming. I'm in a different place now. So I went online to a few places. Places that, yeah, I wasn't looking for conservative crackpots. I was looking for the, the point of view of people that on the Inappropriate Conversations show, I've named as different drummers. These are people I have some esteem for. 
I recognize that they're part of the conservative religious right to one degree or another, and therefore they're you know a little bit problematic as different drummers. But I've affirmed in them the things that I like, standing up against cults, rescuing people from aberrant Christian views in, inside even mainline denominations. Uh, anybody who would prop himself up as God's voice on earth or the second coming of Christ should be denounced, and this group does a great job of denouncing those people. So I went to their website and basically just plugged in Evangelical Lutheranism. I want to know where they stand on these issues I've discussed. What's their point of view on prayer in schools? What do they think about abortion? What do they think about homosexuality? Because I wanted to make sure that they passed the litmus test. And here's the irony. The condemnation of that denomination and others gave me a punch list for which denominations to visit. So the answer, whether condemnation of a denomination based on their refusal to be prejudiced against people is a good thing. Yes, it's a good thing. It's an endorsement of sorts. I don't know whether I'm going to go quite that far, because truthfully, it's less of an endorsement and more of just a recommendation to consider. So by this particular group, based on these specific social issues, saying, that's a bad church and you shouldn't go there, told me that probably whatever churches they would recommend, I would find to be bad churches I don't want to attend. Churches that would shut their doors in the face of people who have committed whatever the current political culture in our in our society today views as being the magic sins. I mean, there's this notion in Christianity, well-founded notion, that all sins are equal, that no one sin's worse than another, but you wouldn't know that just by paying attention to what a lot of conservative congregations have to say over things. So no, I took this as a list to say, hey, I'm going to need to visit churches of Christ before this is said and done. I'm going to need to spend at least one Sunday in an Episcopal church, preferably an Episcopal church that has women leadership. That's how I'll know what side of the coin they're on. Church of England really struggles with women playing a leadership role, whereas the Episcopal church that is, quote-unquote, more liberal in America doesn't. I haven't gone to Presbyterian Church USA, mainly because I'm not Calvinist, and I'm strongly enough not Calvinist that I'm sure at some point that would probably be an issue. Were I to visit Dallas over the course of a Sunday or two, I'd be very tempted, though, to go with my friend to his church just to see for myself. But I live so far away from Dallas, Texas, that although I keep getting recommendations or perceiving recommendations for churches in that part of the country, it doesn't really help much. So no, our exploration and visiting of different denominations included Church of Christ, included Episcopal, it included, of course, Evangelical Lutheran, and now Disciples of Christ. I'm hitting a lot of churches that this right-wing group is uncomfortable with, and it's been so very helpful. Here's the thing, though. My issue with the church we left was not about political issues. It wasn't about the doctrinal stance of the denomination. It was about the hearts of the people who were inside those churches. So when we went to visit a Church of Christ here close to us, I was finding some of the same issues. We were sitting in the pew with people who knew we were visitors, sitting behind us and next to us. They acknowledged us as visitors. They greeted us. But during the course of the worship service, they were speaking words loudly enough for us to hear of their judgment, their discrimination against people in the church. I can't believe she's getting up to speak again. Oh, I'm so glad that these noisy children are escorted out every Sunday morning. I, it's hard for me to sit through the first half of the service with those children in the room. Those sorts of things, which were frankly all too familiar from the church we left. So just because you've got uh, a different set of standards denominationally within the Church of Christ doesn't make any given Church of Christ 
location, any local church within that denomination, a better church home. The Episcopal experience was, generally speaking, much better in terms of the hearts of people, but it was no more the right worship service for me. It was too, it reminded me too much of Catholicism. And when I had the choice as a young child of making the choice between Roman Catholic and United Methodist, I made the Protestant choice for a reason. I'm not interested in hearkening back to more and more of those high church elements. So we've done our due diligence in terms of visiting the nearby churches within those denominations that I'm taking as endorsed by the religious right because the religious right has chose to condemn them. But it doesn't necessarily give them a fast track. That's why I think the word endorse is too strong. To endorse means you can go to the church that's a couple miles down the road and you'll be happy there. But I don't think so. Because the wild card here is the hearts of the individual members. You'll find in denominations within the Protestant church and really, it's even more true in Catholicism, all over America, that there are people who don't really pay any attention to what the denomination says they should do or think on social issues. I'm more interested in a church that's doing the right thing, loving others, doing proper outreach, being willing to engage in conversations with people without any sort of litmus test or any sort of conversion goal, of how long it's going to take. I, I fear I've got people that I've encountered, I know in the church I left, and perhaps in the churches I visited, who would say, well, if you've spent a few months talking with people and they're not converting to Christianity, then you should give it up and put your resources where they're going to be better served. Well, that offends me. It offends me in lots of ways. Because at no point here do I feel called to make an altar call. I'm not going to make an altar call. I'm going to live my life. I'm going to love people where I find them. And if I'm one of the only Christians that I know who's loving this other third group of people where I find them without an expectation that they agree with me, without an insistence that they change, without even a blatant invitation to join me in worship, that's okay. Because somebody has got to walk through that valley. So I struggle still with these social issues and denominational views and doctrinal positions as I'm trying to find a new church, because I'm not that interested in finding a non-denominational church that writes its own set of rules for just itself as a local congregation, because that has always made me feel very vulnerable. If you don't have any auditing process, if there's no connection directly to the greater body of Christ, how can you be certain that those views aren't going to turn and change in an ugly way later? They're just a vote. It's a majority rule within that particular set of believers. And if if something bad happened, if there was gang trouble, for example, inside the community, if there was a shift in the balance of, of race and creed, if there was an influx of immigrants, could this be a church that suddenly puts in racist policies? Well, as a non-denominational church answerable to nobody but themselves as a congregation, my fear has always been that that could easily happen. I'll say one thing for structural entities like the United Methodist Church. We can criticize them for being so slow to change and acknowledge what the Holy Spirit is still doing in our midst, but at least they're not going to change on a whim. So I'm looking around. I've got a shorter list of denominations than I did before. That short list could very quickly narrow down to one, as a matter of fact, and I'm comfortable with that. And if anything, I'm thankful for the fact that that list was in part formed, or at least helped to be formed, by the discriminatory, hateful attitudes 
of people who stand really diametrically opposed to me on the political spectrum, and perhaps in some cases, even on the religious spectrum. If and as you are led, please join me in prayer. O loving Lord, the church that I've been visiting lately has used this as an expression in prayer, and I'm thankful to you, God, that you have led me there and allowed me to hear even just those three words. O loving Lord, Jesus, you've told us what you want from us. And I know from the Holy Spirit working within me that it's to reach out and to love your people. Not to judge. Not to discriminate. Not to seek political power. But to find people where they are. To listen to their story. More than tell them, you think this and you think that. Lord, I thank you for the way your Spirit moves and stirs within me when I hear that kind of language coming from others directed toward me, so I will recognize how wrong it is if I slip into a pattern of using those expressions toward others. Lord, you've asked me, asked me, who are you and what do you think? And Lord, I thank you for the fact that you listened and responded. Help me to do the same thing. Ask people, who are you? What are you willing to share? What do you think? And Lord, help me to be comfortable if those people never ask me for my opinion in response. Because it's not my opinion, Lord, that matters. It's yours. And if loving people where we find them, without intimidation, without discrimination, opens the door for one day, them finding a church that would welcome them, then I appreciate, Lord, that you've done, at least in me, providing an opportunity to ask questions which may or may not be planting a seed, or to water where someone before me has planted. I appreciate this, Lord, because I know that that's my experience with the way your servants have acted in my life. Thank you for helping me to be a part of your plan. In Jesus' holy name, amen. What happened this morning, man, I agree, it was peculiar. But water into wine, I... All shapes and sizes, Vincent. You shouldn't talk to me that way, man. If my answers frighten you, Vincent, then you should cease asking scary questions. Next, 
on Walk the Earth. Whether the notion of things we don't discuss in church is strangling our ministry.